Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Teach Me to Talk with Laura and Kate. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech language pathologist, and I'm hoping Kate will join us soon. <laughs> I think that's our new little theme here. Anyway, um, this is conference week. It's the first week of my fall conference tour, and I'll be in Atlanta on Thursday and Friday, and that event is nearly full. We can squeeze in a couple of more people, but if you want to come, please get your registrations in in the next day or two. I'm afraid if you try to come on that day and um, just plan on signing up that day that you may, um, we may not have room for you, and that would just break my heart. So I wanted to put that plug in there. I'll be in Columbus, Ohio in two weeks. That's on Thursday and Friday, October 11th and 12th. And then two weeks after that, I'll be in the Chicago area, which uh, the event's actually held in Naperville, Warrenville at the Hilton Garden Inn. So check those events out if you want to come. I would love to have you. And Kate is on with us now. Hello. How are you? This is Kate Hensler, Developmental (laughs) Interventionist. I was in a panic. I was scared you weren't going to make it. It always starts early. Greta just said it's 2.57. I said it starts early. (laughs) We're just going to have to reset your watch, aren't we, as it starts early every single time. I know. I know. I'm sorry. I'm here. It's okay. Yay. I'm glad you made it. All right, because I was thinking, boy, I don't know if I can do this one by myself. Hmm. Uh, or any show, actually, by myself. It's so much better when you're here. All right, today's topic. Well, first of all, do you have any other little announcement kind of things? Sometimes we gab on at the beginning. I already did my I'm going to Atlanta this week. Boy, I forgot how hectic the week of a conference is. Yeah, you're gearing up, huh? Gearing up. You should see this office. Boy, it is something <laughs> else. Yeah, you got to re-oil that machine. You haven't done it in a little while, so. I know, we're off. the swing of it. Wrote a book in the winter and spring and then opened a new office in the summer, and now I'm back on the road. So, yeah, it's uh, a little, a little, a little. Back uh, to the road show. Isn't that what you used to call it originally, the road show? The road show. I forgot about that, yeah. Back on the road, back to the road show. Yeah, and I'm so excited. It's going to be a really full room, and it, that's always a lot of fun for me. And it's and it'll be the first, first time Atlanta. I've, Atlanta, yeah, and it'll be the first time I've taught the new book. So that's exciting, and to figure out what works and what I should change. And you know, I've really changed the conference after every single city, almost a little bit. You know what I mean? Just tweak it mm-hmm. from a little bit. So. That'll be fun next Friday. Next Monday's show, we'll be talking a little bit about that, I'm sure. So anyway, come see me if you're in Atlanta. I'd love to meet you, and we do have a few more slots available. We did the list today, so we're pretty firm on our count, as firm as we ever are anyway. Johnny's crossing both his, crossing fingers on both of his hands and saying, please, God, let the number be right. So anyway. <laughs> Moving right along. All right, today we are continuing our topic on vocabulary development in late-talking toddlers, and this is actually part four in our show. 
in the, or in our series uh, for this show. And today we're going to be talking about how to develop vocabulary using prepositions, which are location words. And if we have time, we'll move on then to early pronouns. Last week we talked about verbs, and the two weeks before that we talked about background information and nouns. So now we're all the way up to prepositions. And I, every time we have a, a show or a topic, I always say, I love doing this the best. You know, the truth is I love it all, but I really do like teaching prepositions because there are so many different tweaks that you can use, whether you're working on it. You know, we're talking about expressive language, but you have to work on it receptively, meaning that a child understands the word well before he's ever going to be able to say it or especially use it spontaneously. And I think we forget about that a lot of times with late talkers. We automatically expect them just to be able to pop the word out. At the very first time we teach her, we want them imitating. And a lot of times if a child is imitating right away, you know, that's great, but he may not always understand it if we don't plan some activities and plan to really teach it in the context of helping him understand it before he's expected to say it. And again, I think a lot of people forget about that. Don't you think that's pretty pretty common, Kate, to forget about that whole receptive piece? I certainly do. It's um, I do it on occasion myself, but less than I used to, so I'm getting better. <laughs> You're so funny. Getting better, <laughs> not assuming. <laughs> Yeah, and prepositions, again, children, let's talk about kind of what the norm is, and then we'll talk about how what we do about this for late talkers. Children with typically developing language usually begin to understand some prepositions that you use all the time, like in and out and off and on and up and down. Some sources say and especially this is the typically developing toddlers, around that 12 to 15-month mark. And I certainly remember my children as they were growing up, you know, now they're old, but as they were growing up and were toddlers, they learned, like, lights off and socks off, but, boy, they learned that pretty early. <laughs> so I think the 12-month mark right around that point is pretty accurate for uh, that milestone if we're looking at a child with typically developing language. Now, prepositions, and just for the record, again, those mean location words. You know, think back to your English classes if you're a parent listening to this and you haven't heard that word in a long time. Prepositions tell where the object is in relationship to you. So, again, it's going to be words like in, out, off, on, up, down. Here and there are the other early emerging uh, prepositions, but kids hardly ever at <laughs> at 18 months and 24 months, they don't really say there with a great th. Usually, there or death or death. So um, again, it is an early one that kind of emerges. And for some speech pathologists, I've forgotten about here and there as prepositions. But boy, typically developing kids use that a lot. Um, and I didn't really think about it as much until those years that I taught that little two-year-old class at, at my church. And, boy, those typically developing kids use those prepositions all the time. So I started looking when I was doing that, this was several years ago now, for the reference on that because those aren't two that we normally teach or normally see listed. But, again, that those are pretty early um, emerging 
words. And sometimes kids I'm kind of surprised to hear you say, Laura, about the 12 to 15 months for the early prepositions because, like you said, that's it's been so long since my kids were little, and I didn't really yeah. know that, that. That seems early. Well, do you but have not surprising, your test? But, you know. Yeah. Do you, when, is it, when do you think it's on your test? You knew I was going to ask that next, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, I think it may be a little bit later. I'm going to have to check. Yeah. Yeah. I'll say 18 to 20 or 24 or something like that. But I believe your standard. Well, and, you know, this is the thing. When And a lot of this information that we're talking about today is in uh, Teach Me to Talk, the therapy manual. And, boy, did I spend about a year researching all those darn milestones before I even put that book together because sources list milestones at different ages. And so it's really dependent on what, test you're using or what tool or what source as to when it would come in. But what I did for Teach Me to Talk, the therapy manual, is use lots of different resources. And again, not just from the field of speech-language pathology, because I feel like when you stick to just your own um, information, sometimes you get a little skewed. And so I pulled from um, those five area development tests, and we talked about those a couple of weeks ago. Or was it last week when we did that or two weeks ago when we were doing the whole explaining about the the tests that we use? I think that was two weeks why, ago. Why you we? asked me, what what is it on your test? That's what you're yeah. explaining. Yeah. I thought it was just to make me uncomfortable, but apparently there was no... <laughs> so there was a real reason yeah. for it. But I think that was two weeks ago that we we talked about all that and the differences in tests. And you can look at one test versus another test, and there might be different age ranges for when a skill or a milestone comes in. And so when I did Teach Me to Talk, the therapy manual, the six months to a year that I spent putting everything together before I actually wrote a word, uh, it spent a lot of time just compiling uh, sources to use for that. And so some sources have those prepositions coming in, again, really early at 12 to 15 months. And again, the only I was surprised about that too, but the only reason that I think that that probably was or, or it was true in my life when I was parenting little babies that were 12 to 15 months old is because I do remember they were so proficient at getting their socks off. And, taught, and they understood mm-hmm. that. If I would say you know, or look at them, you know, in the back seat and say, don't take your socks off, no! You know, I worked probably, probably worked hard to get those darn socks on. Uh, and I do remember my own children loving to play with light switches when they were, you know, old enough to climb and could get on a couch or if I had, you know, not positioned furniture correctly where, you know, the furniture was sitting right under a light switch and I would... Hopefully never do that now, but, you know, the things you do with your kids and you kind of learn as you go what's going to work and what's not work. But I I remember both Jonathan and Tyler really wanting to play with the light switch and understanding that whole on-off thing. Boys, yeah. I've had some girls who like light switches, but boys tend to particularly, you know, they're that little mechanical thing that a lot of boys have. Keys, remote controls, and light switches are... Well, and the, the remote control too. Yeah. yeah, and then What's wanting it? to get the remote control and figure out how to turn the TV off. That is something that even young toddlers, when they're first learning to walk at that, you know, 12-month level, 15-month level, 
they really like that. So I do believe that it can come in mm-hmm. that early. But I like you, you know. And again, don't you think our perceptions are a little bit swayed because we work with delayed kids? And so when you right. see a milestone like that, you think, oh, that's so early. Well, guess yeah. what? Kids who aren't struggling with language really get it pretty early. I was having a conversation with a mom about that. Uh, oh, I can't remember where I was. It was in the last week, so it's probably some store somewhere, you know, Walmart or Kroger or something. And we were just talking about that's the difference between a kid who needs therapy and a kid who doesn't. When a, when a kid is typically developing, you don't really have to work too hard to teach many things language-wise, and especially these no. kind of concepts. Yeah. And they get it pretty early, and they get it pretty effortless, effortless. Lee, am I saying that right? Effortlessly, yes. Effortlessly. Yes. I can't say that today. I need a speech therapist. Anyway, they get it without effort and without a whole lot of obvious uh, help and assistance. Yeah, and so, and we've talked about this a lot on the show, where a mom will say, you'll ask, you're doing like a new assessment with a child, and you'll say to the mom, can he blah, blah, blah. And a lot of times moms will say, no, he can't do it, but I haven't taught him that. That's my fault. And you always do such a good job, Kate, of talking about this. If he were truly typically developing, you don't have to work too hard to teach that. That's not really your fault. He would have just learned it in the context of daily routines and learned it as you went, you know, and you say it several times, you know, over several days or weeks and he gets it without a lot of having to sit down and obviously teach him but for kids with language delays teaching prepositions is something you pretty much need to know how to do because lots of times especially your children who've had receptive language delays are going to need some pretty um, focused and structured learning opportunities or they're not going to get it. And so with these kinds of words, you need to be really uh, have some good tricks and include it in lots and lots and lots of your activities so that a child has that more structured opportunity and more uh, focused learning and so that you're directed to it and you're thinking about it. Okay, so that's one way to kind of think about prepositions as a concept, meaning we have to help the children understand what it means when we say in, what it means when we say off, what it means when we say down, you know, those kinds of things. The second way that I've been working on prepositions a lot, especially this summer, and again, sometimes things just depend on the mix of clients that you're getting at one time, but I've really used a lot of prepositions to teach a new syllable shape for children who, and again, it's an expressive language or an expressive communication goal, but for children who cannot use words that start with vowels. And I think we talked about this a little bit last week and the week before when we were talking about long E and some of those things. But remember, vowels are, you know, for for moms and dads, A-E-I-O-U. And sometimes Y, those were what we learned in elementary school. But really, there are more vowel sounds than that because you have your long sounds and your short sounds and your diphthongs and all of those other variations of vowels. But a lot of times kids with motor planning problems or even a phonological delay or disorder don't begin words with vowels. 
And so you'll have to really teach that. And so if you're thinking about that, prepositions are a great target for that because lots of them start with vowels. You know, in, on, off, up, out. So you can target lots of those kinds of words by using prepositions. And for the couple of kids that I've used that on this summer, um, they had no receptive language problems, so we were really just working on it from an expressive standpoint. But that's kind of been a fun target for me, and so I've thought about that a lot this summer and taught it a lot. Um, so I wanted to mention that, too, in case someone's listening and they're not really thinking about that they could use prepositions, even with a kid who seems more like a speech kid. Um, you're just getting new sounds and uh, new syllable shapes and New words. I've used them with speech kids quite a bit, and the reason is because I know you say there's a subset of kids who can't do words that start with vowels, but a lot of times I think um, there are those kids that can, and they're not words that parents have really modeled for them that much because right. they're you know they're busy doing all those nouns that Noun. we talked about the first. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing is uh, some kids seem to be really motivated by them because they're, there's really an, an inherent kind of command. You know, there, it's a real power right. word, in, right. out, up, on, off. You know, those, they hey, they're telling you what to do, and, you know, two-year-olds are pretty motivated to do that a lot of times. So right. I think that they, they like them, yeah. I like them, too. I, think they're, I yeah. think they're fun to teach, and it's great when a kid uh, can get that. And sometimes, and again, for... Uh, you people that are thinking about speech disorders, sometimes you can almost get a final sound if you're working on a preposition, um, you know, a final consonant sound. It, it's almost, For some kids, it's easier to get it if it's just the second sound, if it's just a vowel consonant versus trying to get a consonant, vowel consonant. A lot of times I'll hear in and start to really hear that in, and on before I'll hear lots of other final consonants. So, and again, will you find that written up in the literature when we're looking at working on final consonants? I've never seen it anywhere, but it is something just anecdotally that I've noticed when I've worked with kids. Kate, I don't know if you've really thought about that before, but start kind of listening for that. Sometimes I'll hear a P, a final P for up, that I've definitely heard. Definitely, yeah. you know, it's an early piece down. That, of course, a lot of times it becomes, you're saying up, up, or up, 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 and they say pop, 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 and I think, close enough, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I think, well, it's a different syllable shape, and I'm just going to take it and be happy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you will, you know, and that's, that's kind of a therapy strategy too, uh, the kind of a co-articulation approach. If you're really looking at that phonological processing and you're thinking, okay, how can I get that, you know, switch that position of that P, it is kind of to do it that way and work on it in a sequence. The other kind of thing that prep, that I use prepositions for too, the other kind of goal is if when we are working with kids who can't sequence uh, two words together. So these are kids that when you're trying to work on phrases and you're cueing a phrase like more milk, they either say more, more, or milk, milk. They can't get a different word in there. Or sometimes this, this is even more effective for the kids who just leave off that. If you cue more and milk, they say more or, or milk. And so you work on it in a sequence to get 
uh, help the child be able to do more than one syllable at a time. And so I love using prepositions that way for up, 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 up as you're going up the stairs or down, 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 down as you're going down. Um, those are kind of my two go-to words when we're implementing that strategy. So, again, prepositions are so valuable when you're thinking about working with language delayed kids or you know even speech disorder kids because you you there there's lots to work with there and, and lots to do it but let's let's back up and talk about teaching prepositions in the context of that we're first going to help the child learn how to understand the word now a few weeks ago or it might have been months ago by now we talked about how for the, our most significantly delayed or disordered kids who are having difficulty learning language, you can't always teach words that appear to be opposites or words that are opposites. You can't always teach them at the same time to those kids because they don't really solidly know what word you're teaching. And this happens a lot with prepositions because we naturally want to teach them in pairs, like in and out, and on, and off, and up, and I have out. to tell you, I've been doing better at not always doing them <laughs> together since I, I outed myself on that, that related podcast and said that, oh, I pretty much always do that. Yeah, I've been catching myself, falling back into the habit, and stopping myself and thinking, no, this is probably one I better stick with just one. Yeah, and you, so it, is, it is child-dependent, don't you think? Because some kids mm-hmm. could get it if you taught it that way. Oh, absolutely. But, yeah, but for our Or they most, already know it. You know what I mean? They, yeah. They're receptively, yeah. they get it. They just can't say them. That kid, I wouldn't hesitate. Right. But right. for a receptive language kid, yeah, better assume not to do it that way. But I've always done it that way. I'm not, I'm embarrassed to admit, but I'm getting better about it. <laughs> I'm learning well, that. Well, maybe you didn't have as many kids screw it up as I did, and I really learned that lesson the hard way because I don't think anybody ever really taught me to teach them separately. I just know that I had kids mix it up. You know, they're pulling something out of a out of the you know train. They're pulling the train out of the little Thomas house, and they're screaming in, and I'm going no, <laughs> you know. And so after a while. You start to think, okay, this is not the kid's fault. This is my fault. I have taught this. I have not taught this in a way that he can learn it. He has linked it incorrectly. So I've got to figure out what can I do differently because that happens. You'll have a kid learn it the wrong way. Or I've, I've heard a lot of kids, you know, because their moms when they're doing the stairs, they'll say up, 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 or down, down, down. And I've heard kids and seen kids go. You know, they're going down, and they're saying, up, 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 up. <laughs> <laughs> Because they just oh, yeah. linked it with them on the stairs. They haven't really noticed that their moms don't say up while they're walking down. Uh, see, that's what made me really learn it and really think about it. So maybe you just haven't had those kids that have mixed it up. No, no, I've had those kids, Laura. I've definitely had those kids. I just really kind of... Um, you know, wrote it off to receptive language skills, not necessarily that I taught it wrong, just that they obviously don't really get it. And, yes, it it needs continued focus because they don't get it. Exactly. And I Mm -hmm. just think that that's a great 
starting point for when therapists are thinking about it like that, but then we can take it to the next level and think, no, now I've got to teach this a different way so that we minimize mm-hmm. the opportunity for him to learn it wrong. Um, right. And a lot of it's our processing kids that really do it. The kids who are talking but they're not quite processing what you're saying. Right. These might be echolalic kids. That happens a lot. Uh, yeah. where they're saying it the wrong, or, or kids that even you know that there's some processing things there, some receptive language things, but their expressive stuff is coming along so great that we only focus on expressive stuff. And then that's a big red flag to me is when I have a kid who's learned it wrong and I think, uh-oh, we've got to spend some more time here with receptive language. I haven't, I probably haven't focused on that and haven't told mom and dad, oh, boy, we better slow this expressive train down here and get some better understanding before we zoom on ahead because this kid is learning words wrong. He's learning them incorrectly or using them incorrectly. And so we do it you is see, though, really, Laura, a lot of times with those kids you can't really necessarily throw, slow down the expressive train because that's the easy part for those kids. Right. It's the receptive part that gets them, but it is certainly important for us to be aware of that and to share that with parents to say, you know, look, right, this is an issue. This is not right. typical. And Kids don't confuse stop and go up and down, in and out. Right. You know. And, you know, and what I mean by slow down the expressive train is just mean that you better be spending a lot of time in therapy but working on and thinking about right. the receptive language piece and mm-hmm. not worrying so much about the expressive. I have a little girl that I'm working with right now that, oh, my gosh, she is the poster child for this. She was missed by all kinds of, you know, all of our uh, screenings that pediatricians do. And, you know, even when people talk to her mom about her, you know, missed by all these kinds of programs at two and even at one she because really she was talking she was saying all these mm-hmm. things, but I have never seen a child have such a gap between her expressive language and her receptive language. And I've talked about her before on this show, and, oh, my gosh, I just adore this family. And she, um, when I first saw her and I started seeing her in the spring, I had to really say to her parents, now, you know, I wish we could call this something other than speech therapy because we are not going to work on her talking. <laughs> you know, she she could, she was very echolalic and could really quote long passages from television shows and a you know a conversation if she had had a conversation you know with her nana three or four months earlier about a particular thing if somebody said one of the key words she would recall that conversation and pretty much repeat it verbatim you know what Mm-hmm. what they said. I mean, she was so verbal that, so you know, and people were saying to her mom, you know, talking about how smart she was and, you know, so for, for her mom and dad to kind of have to dig themselves out of this whole, oh, my gosh, she's, she's developing so well. And not that she wasn't, it's just she wasn't understanding a thing. And because she was so verbal, it really masked a lot of her deficits. And she didn't start getting therapy you know, until she was over three because mom couldn't quite put her finger on what was wrong. And, you know, her grandmother's a kindergarten teacher. And, you know, every time she, they could, because our this sweet little girl could repeat anything, grandma thought she understood a lot more than she did. But subsequently she was in trouble a lot because she could say stuff but not 
understand it and not follow through. And then I think she kind of learned, let me just pitch a fit about it, and then everybody just kind of didn't want me to be this upset, and then we all move on, and then nothing ever really gets done about it. And so she was saying words like precipitation, you know. Oh, my. At at two, but not understanding things like put it in and take it off. Those kinds of things. So when when I use that example of slow this expressive train down, you know, I say to people, we are not going to teach her any new words per se. We're going to go back and fill in the gaps. You know, she's she's been saying these words for a long time, but guess what? She doesn't really understand. And boy, has she made good progress since we focused on it that way. So that's what I mean by that, and that's what I tell parents. And I know you know what I mean. I'm just... It for lack of yeah, those kids are hard. You know, I mean, they're. I love those kids. They're, they're my favorite kind of kids to work with now. Are they? I, say that about I like them, but I do think they're hard. They keep you, you know, they really. You're I don't know. They're still toes. kind of challenging. Yes, they're still kind of yeah. challenging to me, which is good. A challenge is good, yeah. but. Yeah. Um, and it can be, it, you know, it's not uncommon, unfortunately. The scenario that her scenario is not that uncommon for exactly these kids. These really highly verbal kids that receptively really don't necessarily. And then you factor in, you know, whether it's a processing thing or, um, or they're on the spectrum on or the whatever. Spectrum, yeah, yeah, yeah. That they can say things and understand it, but yet hear it and not understand it, which is a difficult concept. You know what I mean? Well, and a lot of times kids don't really even understand what they're saying. My sweet little friend right, didn't. but sometimes you they know, do. Sometimes they do. But then, yeah, and she yeah, but she then you turn around and say it, and they don't get it. Right, and you think where yeah. is the disconnect there? And what happens yeah. with those kids is the parents don't get that it's a processing issue, and again they're in right. trouble. They're in trouble all day every day because if she says it, surely she understands it and because she says it and uses it in context how come she doesn't understand it when i tell her you know so it's it is fun though and i really like to tease those differences out but boy you really have to have on the ball parents to be able to work with a kid like that and understand and again i just i wish i could say their names on the show because i (laughs) i mean these parents are amazing with how they've been able to really um, make huge differences and totally the the dad was so funny this last week when I saw them. He said, you know, nothing about our life is the same, you know, at home because we were talking about, I said, reduce TV. He's like, reduce TV, Laura. It's eliminate TV, you know, and so it was just, it was just really cute to hear him talk about it and kind of talk about how they, really have changed so many things that they do and how their lives really don't look the same. But she's she's made incredible progress, um, and I have loved seeing that. But it has been so fun to kind of work with her and help mom and dad and grandmas, you know, they've got really involved family, um, break down those skills and figure out what she's really missing. And a lot of this, early preposition stuff, I mean, that's where we started with her. And you wouldn't really think about that with a kid, again, who's using words like um, right. precipitation. And, you know, she had a lot of $5 words, you know. She had a bunch of multi-syllabic words. 
that she learned in one one context or another, mostly through videos or flashcard kind of things. Uh, I don't know that they did a ton of that, but, you know, um, they did some. And that's where she got it, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And so, again, but you back up. You have to back so far up and make sure that you're filling in the pieces. And so with receptive language, prepositions are a great way to start that because so many commands that we give young children involve prepositions. And it's a real problem if they don't understand those kinds of words. So let's talk about some of the ways that we teach those. Again, I think it's really, really important that we look for multiple uh, contexts for teaching. And again, this would be that if we're teaching on going to work on uh, playing and doing, uh, putting things on in play. We're going to talk about putting our shoes and our socks on, turning the water on in the bathtub, turning the lights on. And so, again, even that whole um, conceptual base for on, you know, thinking about that word is different <laughs> for some kids, you know, lights on versus socks on. But that's the word we use for that. So, again, we have to teach it across those multiple contexts so that a child understands, you know, when we're going to use that particular preposition. Uh, And we've already talked about we really want to be careful if we think a kid might not get it in one context. It's just to teach, teach on or off first and then teach the other one later once they've mastered that. Some sources will say you would teach off and not off versus off and on. Oh. You're still out on that for me. I mean, I think that's harder. And especially when we're working with our youngest toddlers. Mm-hmm. I don't. I wouldn't teach it that way. Negation, the not part of that, that emerges even later in language development. So I try to think about it. I can see how if you had a four-year-old that's mixing that up, right. how somebody would think that that's a good way to teach it, but I don't think so, and I don't it's really It's kind of unnatural. That way. You know what I mean? Like yeah. who says yeah. not on? No, you say off, you know? Just. Right. The only time I can think of that I would be correcting it is if a kid were saying it wrong. If he were saying on right. and it, he were meeting off, I might scream, not on, not on, off. So, um, and again, by scream, I don't mean scream. I just mean excitedly redirect. Um, But I I don't think, again, I just wanted to put that out there. That is a way when you're reading through sources and reading teaching guides, that is a way that some people have suggested that I would never teach it that way because, again, I think negation comes later in the continuum. So if a kid isn't understanding an early preposition like on and off, I don't think adding that extra word is going to help that any bit at all. But that's my No, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Yeah. That it would. All right. Yeah, I don't think so either. So um, other kinds of things. Up, I like to teach up with bubbles and balloons, don't you? But we almost always have to teach that up versus down when you're doing it that way. But I think those are great, great ways to teach up. Don't you say up when you're playing with balloons? I bubbles. say up a lot. Let me just say yeah. that. <laughs> 
Oh, no matter what I'm doing, I pretty much can work up into it. Yeah, I really do. I mean, any kind of animal, any kind of thing that moves, any kind of character, anything, mm-hmm. of course, anything that flies. I also do it with kids if I'm moving them, if I'm doing the airplane game, or I'm, right. I might do it with, um, you know, swing them around. They want up. So, I mean, I do it yeah. a lot, and, you know, to me it's it's an easy thing to model, and usually it's, I use it paired with something the kid wants, either for them to go yeah. up, the object to go up, the balloons to go up, the bubbles to go up, and, you know, they that means make it, make it happen, so that's a yeah. good word. Well, mm-hmm. I think it's such a good word because it starts with that neutral vowel. And any right. kid that can grunt, uh, uh, uh. Is the one he can say they uh. have. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They can say it. So, yeah, That's I right. think it's an easy, easy, easy target. And how many moms just instinctively hold their hands out to their babies and say, ah? Uh? You know, it's certainly a word that a child has heard from, you know, as from infancy. You know, his mom asking him, do you want me to pick you up? And usually, most of the time, moms will say, up or one up. And so I think it's um, an early, early, easy target. So I I love that. I use up when I'm playing with the, uh, whether we're playing with a pretend playground when they're climbing up the ladder, up, 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 up. You can use it when you're playing with a garage with cars. You can use it outside on the real playground when you are climbing up the ladder. I mean, I think the possibilities are endless for that, and I like you say it all the time. It is a pretty easy word to work into routines. So you want to make sure a child though is really understanding what you're saying too. You can use up in daily routines too. A lot of us put groceries or dishes up in the cabinet. You know, we're always using that word around the around the house in our daily routine. So I think it's I think it's a great one. Um, other kinds of, you have some other hints, Kate, for teaching those kinds of words. I think it's just dependent on what you're teaching and what you're thinking about. Uh, I think lots of toys lend themselves to teaching prepositions pretty easily, don't you? Oh, yeah. I mean, and as always, regardless of really the target word, go with what they love. And, you know, for most young kids, at least early on, a lot of times that does involve some kind of action toy, some kind of movement, something, you know, something that's going to hold their attention and they're really inspired to want to see again. Um, And so all those simple words usually go hand in hand with those. And they, you know, like you said, they're easy target words. So woohoo, go for them. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) One way that I like to do it is if a kid has, um, a preferred little lovey, you know, like a character that they wag around all the time or, a, you know, whether that's Thomas the Train or an Elmo or a Dora or whatever their little favorite tag-along toy is, I like to teach prepositions in that context because they'll pay attention then and they're really um, highly observant. They're taking their favorite little toy and doing something with that. Right. So if there's, you know, and so I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say so often with, you know, young kids and the things we use, 
they struggle to do it independently. And, of course, those are good toys as far as I'm concerned because right. they really need their, they need the parent or the therapist or the play partner or whatever. They need the person there to help them. Just mm-hmm. like if they're Thomas obsessed, oh, you got to put the train on the track. You know, right. they want it on the track. <laughs> um, so, yeah, using those keen interests is always, you know, a great place to start. I think it's a great place to start. Other kinds of things around uh, the house that you could do with with uh, prepositions, a laundry basket is great for teaching in versus out, and you can do that by throwing clothes in there or balls or whatever you're using, but I think it's more fun to put the kid in and out of the laundry basket, and you can do a ton of little, you know, make up a little game with it. You can row, row your boat or whatever you want to do, that kind of in-between um, and a lot of times with teaching prepositions, it's just what uh, educators or uh, anybody that's going to write about this would call incidental teaching, meaning you teach it when it comes up. <laughs> and that's how I think prepositions, how moms and dads target prepositions, is just any time that it would come up in the course of play or in a daily routine where uh, you're going to really be talking about that word. And so we have to, as therapists, have to help moms and dads recognize those opportunities to teach prepositions. And so, you know, if you're in a state that's all crazy about daily routines and having everything put in a daily routine and, you know, they're to the point that they don't even want you to shake your own toys in, you've only got to use what a parent already has, you know, grabbing a laundry basket and saying, or a diaper box, you know, if they've bought diapers by the case at Sam's or, you know, Costco or wherever, that would be a great way to kind of teach that. Teaching uh, on and off would even be great with the couch, you know, if you're going to let a kid jump on the couch and then jump off, you know, that would be a great way to work that out. I'm getting so much email right now from therapists who say, you know, help me, I'm I'm not going to be able to take my toys in anymore, I've got to come up with some things that I can do. So um, I'm hoping that we can start to really include these kinds of ideas for those therapists who really feel like their hands are tied. And I think if you've listened to the show more than a week or two, you know what Kate and I are going to say about that whole thing. (laughs) Unless they're at the door to grab your toys, how do they know you're taking toys? How do they know? So anyway, I don't want to get anybody in trouble, but... Whatever. Yeah. I, I mean, and with some way. kids, you know, here's the truth, though. With some kids, and even some kids that in the beginning would this wouldn't work with, but, um, you know, for some kids, if you don't have something really cool, let's face yeah. it, just working into a little routine is like whatever. They don't, you, you, you don't have enough connection with them. They, you can't hold their interests long enough to make it effective. You know, right. I mean, it's like you need your hook. Then right. a lot of times once you hook those kids later, you can do these more spontaneous, more incidental, and they like them, but you have to hook right. them first. And I think that yeah. is such a good a good point. But a lot of therapists, I guess, aren't used to trying to defend themselves and defend their practice and to say, I'm in the therapist chair. I will decide what children on my caseload need to learn. You know, and I guess a lot of people mm-hmm. just personality-wise are kind of afraid to uh, buck a rule like that or a trend. You know, I'm kind of used to swimming upstream, so that breaking rules doesn't really bother me that much, but other people it really might. So there you go on that. 
Um, let's talk. We already talked about in, out, on, off, up, down, here, and there. That's between 12 and 24 months that we know that children learn to understand those kinds of words. And then they start to use those kinds of words somewhere between that 24 months and 30 months. So they have to understand it first. And then we should start, but the children in typical development will start hearing those kinds of words by about 24 months. Some sources say as late as 27 to 30 months is when they start to use early prepositions. So that would mean that they start to really say them. I think prepositions are great words for a child to master as single words first because then they have the concept. And then they'll start to use them in phrases. So that's why I think that you might see that listed a teeny bit later at 27 to 30 months if you're looking at a real language test because lots of children are using phrases by that, or most children, all typically developing children, are using phrases by that time. And prepositions lend themselves so well to phrases. And again, we've already talked about, you know, shoes off or uh, night's on, that kind of thing. So I think that's why we see that difference there. The next set of prepositions that come in, and I don't think we've ever talked about this on the show, Kate. So by three, or uh, some sources have, no, let's see, that's right. By three, or between 36 and 39 months, we would, we would hear the words and certainly see understanding of under, by, and around. And I use the preposition under probably after that first little set. I mean, under is the word that I think you say all the time, don't you? It's under there. Look under there. It fell yeah. under the table. Yeah. yeah. You know, the cup's under the couch. Uh, so I think it's it's kind of that next rung of preposition, so under, by, and around. I use the word around a lot when if a kid likes to play with train tracks <laughs> or a racetrack. I think that's the word that comes up a lot. I love our little pony Ferris wheel because that wheel goes around and around and around, and that's usually a word that I use in that um, with that activity. Um, you know, you I pretty much always model round and round, not around and around. Well, and I think that's what a kid would say, too. As I'm thinking of it, I do round and round quite a bit, but I never say around and around. But I think a kid would understand it. Yeah. Oh, they yeah. understand round and round and round, yeah. So I don't I don't really think mm-hmm. that matters. I mean, I guess a purist would, but we certainly have erased all possibility <laughs> of either one of us being like that. Yeah, so we're, we're going next. for something. We're going for yeah. something right now. <laughs> right. So under, by, and around are the next things. I don't know that I ever teach by, by. I don't, don't know. What I'm saying that. Uh, but I think parents say it. You know, go stand by the door. You know, go sit by your sister. I think Right. we say it, but I don't know that I ever really teach it. And if I did teach it, I think I would think about it in terms of beside rather than by. But by would be a much easier target, a much easier word for a kid to say. So I just wanted Mm -hmm. to present that information under, by, and around. And then the next set of prepositions, excuse me, that a child would learn to understand and then say, these are words like front 
and behind, and they're coming in between 36 and 48 months. And I'll just say that I have hardly formally taught that. I do remember um, with kids that I've kept until they were darn near kindergarten, we've worked on some of that. But I haven't had um, kids that old that I see on my regular caseload as part of their regular therapy team in a what long, were those? long time. The last front and behind. Then? In front and behind. Yeah. No, that's way out of my my uh, working knowledge. Too old yeah, for so, me. <laughs> yeah. That's a big boy in the word. Yeah, so 36 mm-hmm. to 48 months. So by the time that a child is four, we would want them understanding um, those kinds of words. But again, I only remember a couple of kids that I've even worked on that with, and those are kids a while ago and kids that were older when I when I wasn't as good about saying to a mom, she's too old for me now. She needs a big person therapist. I'm a baby therapist. Um, but there's some ideas for teaching all of those words in Teach Me to Talk in the Therapy Manual. So if you need some more specific examples, that's a great resource and it breaks down skills below the 12-month level and then skills at the 12 to 24-month level and then 24 to 36 months and then 36 to 48 months. So I think it's a great great resource. So ideas for prepositions that we've talked about today uh, have been are in that book. The other resource that I have for teaching prepositions is on Teach Me to Listen and Obey too, And that's the number two. I saw a dad in the clinic this summer who said, I thought you meant two, like... He's going to listen, and then she would obey, too, like T-O-O. It's the number two if you're looking for that on the website. But that DVD shows lots of examples, and actually examples, great examples of teaching verbs like we talked about last week, and then uh, prepositions, too. And so you can see some of those therapy activities Um on those DVDs. And you know what I always say, Laura, it always really helps to see it done. Yeah. So. I think it does because you can read about it and then especially if this isn't your thing, like especially if you are moving from working with older children to toddlers. You know, mm-hmm. the the whole reason I did the website and film the DVDs and write these books is because there was a real void in this kind of material when I started working in early intervention. And I was reading everything I could get my hands on, and a lot of the material was just, it either wasn't there or it was stupid, you know. It just wasn't, (laughs) it wasn't good, you know. And I would think, oh, my gosh, I can do better than this. This is not, you know, somebody's got to come up with a better way. My little ideas that are working every day are going to be better than this. And then taking ideas for older children and thinking, how can I break that down and what's going to make more sense for a toddler and even thinking some of that is not good for a toddler at all. Let's just get somebody out there saying, don't use worksheets. Don't, you know, use play, use toys, because so much of what was available when I really decided that the three and you know, and young preschoolers were going to be my thing and started reading everything I could get my hands on, you know, there were slim pickings out there. So, I mean, I, yeah, I, I know when you were talking about verbs, you were saying don't use the flashcards. 
um, it's amazing that, that there still is, you know, there still are folks who are using the flashcards for verbs with two-year-olds. And it's like, well, never you know mind. People are, well, what? and a lot of people now are doing apps. They're just, yes, you know, they're I know. using the And I don't iPad. love that either. I don't love it either. And here's the thing, with, especially with verbs and prepositions. Toddlers learn by doing. And so you need to show them the verb and show them the preposition. You know, you can't I just think it's too hard to teach these kinds of words with pictures. You're going to do a lot better making it more real, making it concrete, making it, you know, less easy to mess up. And so if you have a kid who can mess it up in real life, what is what in the world would you be doing trying to teach that with an app or with a picture? And I think a lot and of you know what also Laura making it inherently social because so right. often it's those kids who that really love the apps and even maybe the flashcards sometimes it's you know they whether they're on the spectrum oftentimes they are um but you know there's they have a social disconnect anyway and they right. really like the the iPad and they really right. like the pictures and yet they're not looking at you, they're not smiling at you, they're not they're they're really into the app, but right. and I can see the utility of that as kids get older, but when you're yeah. talking very young kids, you know, if the child were 6 or 7 or 8 and you were using it right. in a productive way to right. augment communication somehow, great, but for a 2-year-old, I just think, "Oh, don't they have to notice you're in the room first? You know? I know. <laughs> Isn't I, that, that important? Little, I know. I've gotten a lot of email about this, about parents who were saying, and even I've seen some kids in real life, especially recently this summer, who say that, you know, and we're we're seeing kids. I, this, I don't, this didn't happen on our joint avowals, but children that I saw who just came for a speech-language avowal, some of their therapists were using, were predominantly using apps. And these were, you know, they're taking children to a school-based setting or a clinic where I guess that they're used to working with older children. And they were using the app to teach. And so if it's, and one mom was saying, okay, the goal is that she establishes joint attention. She said, so I just want to tell the therapist, well, the best way to get her to look at you and to have the joint in that word is to put the iPad away. Because if she if the iPad is out, there is no way she's going to pay attention to you. Yeah, and that, I mean these are the kids yeah. who are locked in on the gadget right. or on the you know whatever right. the either the flashcard or the iPad right. or the DVD right. or what you know. The, these yeah. are the kids you know my line. A bomb could go off and they wouldn't notice. Yeah. And now right. you're going to introduce this and say, "Look at me and respond to me and notice me." Yeah. Good luck. You know? Yeah, she is never going to meet that goal with that set of materials. And, again, yeah. <laughs> that child is pretty engaged with toys, so why wouldn't mm-hmm. you use toys, you know? Mm-hmm. But, again, I think a lot of us do things as therapists where we don't, you know, we might start out with pretty good rationale and intentions, and it just kind of gets watered down or filtered down, and we're not really thinking about and it is efficient, like you pointed out. Boy, it would be pretty efficient to have, you know, 25, 30 apps and you just flip through them for kid after kid after kid. But it's not always 
And for some kids, pretty easy because sometimes those kids that that really like that when you know it's not it's not necessarily easy to engage them socially to get them to respond to you to have joint attention to have you know any kind of reciprocity in your exchange with them and yet you get the iPad out and they're like woohoo you know this right. is cool the iPad yeah. you know, I know make it pretty easy so, I know and I can see why people do it I mean I really can I can too, Stre- but I just am not therapist. comfortable with it yeah. I'm not either. Mm-hmm. I will not be doing that, period. No. <laughs> and I'm able to defend why I don't do it. And so mm-hmm. that's my point to therapists is you need to really be thinking about, you can't be preaching to mom, I don't see very much social engagement when you're doing the one thing that he or she can't take their eyes off. You know, that mm-hmm. that that doesn't make much sense clinically. And so you've now, got I have, to. I, I'll be. I'll be upfront, Laura. I've tried it a little bit. Yeah. I know you have, and I know you have with that one little guy that we had together. Yeah. Right. Partly to see what happens. Partly to right. you know think about well, how do I feel about this because it is right. kind of the wave of the yeah. future as it far is. as working yeah. with kids with special needs. It's right. And I can see. Yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff. I can see where you it could have a great application. And I've used it with kids who were so hard to engage socially, or I've used it as a pacifier with kids who get very easily overstimulated. But you know what? I always control it. You know what I mean? They kind of have to go through me to get the iPad. I'm a necessary part of that equation Mm -hmm. whether they want me to be or not. So I've tried to use it a little bit more productively, but mostly I just don't use it because I think, nope, there's something not right about that. Yeah, and I, I mean, again, I get what therapists are doing, and I don't want anybody to think, oh, she's just being an old stick in the mud about this. She's just not going to move forward with the times. How old is she? Is she over 45? You know, I get why people would say all those things. But especially when we're talking about the context today, like and like last week, teaching verbs and prepositions, a kid is not going to understand it. It's, it. To me, it's just a higher-level worksheet. You know, right. it's the same as a video. It, they're not going to understand it unless they do it in real life. They're really not. It, they've got to have that real life experience before that's going to be meaningful. And the very kids right. who want it the most need it the least. <laughs> right. And so you've got to be so careful about balancing that and about being able to justify it clinically. And I think the other thing that happens is like when people try to use iPads with a group is they spend the whole darn time managing behaviors of the group and managing, right. you know, oh, don't touch it, oh, don't drop it, oh, you know, all those things. And when you're, <laughs> that's crazy. If you spend all your time doing that, you're not really addressing what you're supposed to be addressing. So I think there's some real issues that are coming up. I'm sure if we worked with older children, we would have a different angle on right. this. Right, and I can totally see that. Yeah. But I would like to see right. that you know some basic social um, growth Connection. and yeah, yes, is is pretty intact before that is right. something that's used on a consistent basis. Yeah, you know, right. a while ago I saw a little guy who. Um, I kind of evaluated him, and he wasn't doing terribly well. And the mom said, "Can you can you use a book? He likes books." 
and yeah. she wanted to wanted me to use a book so that he could label some of the pictures in the right. book. And um, I guess maybe I was not evaluating him but seeing him for the first session, and then they went out of the country, so if there's been a long gap. But anyway, I point blank said, no, no, you know, <laughs> not going to yeah. use the book. Well, he really <laughs> likes books, and I said, I understand that, and that's a strength. However, it's kind of inherently antisocial. Right. You know what I mean? Like, uh, no, yeah. I really want him to have to engage with me and not right. just be able to point and label things in a book. Even though that's right. a strength, it's really right. not where he needs practice. Right. So same and that's thing a good with way an to iPad. Explain it to parents. Yeah, that's a great mm-hmm. way to explain it to parents. And, again, a lot of parents are going to balk because they're going to think, you know, especially if you but say he that with books. a book. But he likes books. He's good at books. Yeah. <laughs> But you have to explain it. You have to say that obviously there's some kind of problem or he would be able to transition those words or use those words in everyday situations and really use those words to communicate. And that's where our breakdown is. So if we only use it in the one little context where he already has it, I'm not doing him any good right now. We've got to be able to expand that. And a lot of therapists, I understand why therapists get locked into that too. And again, as an early educator, you know, it's hard to explain to a parent why a book may not be the best teaching tool. And right. I know that. And, and other- here, here you can't you can't help but hear here read to your babies, read to your newborns. And I'm not knocking books and reading or anything. Right. I'm not saying right. that. I'm saying as as a way to engage children in a therapy session, books generally don't encourage much social rea- social connection. Right. It's a pretty right. isolated. They may love them, but they don't. Right. Most of these kids don't really want you to read it. They want control of the book, and they'll they may label the pictures. They'll label them whether you're there or not. You exactly. know what I mean? Yeah. They don't really. They're not telling you. They're just it's not labeling. communicatively. Yeah, they're not using right. it communicatively. They're just yelling out. What moms told them, right? And so you have to be have to be really be careful to explain that to parents, so that they get that and they understand what you're saying. And and you you know. And then I've had parents say, "Well, you don't want me to read to them anymore." And I think, "Well, I'm not saying that, but <laughs> we're going to have to spend lots of time doing other things." And let's just say too, we I know we talked about this when we did the whole show on books earlier this summer is if it is a completely independent activity and if the child will not share control with you and you can't even really sit beside them and, you know, really for all intents and purposes you've disappeared. Um, When the book is brought out, then you need to not use that at all because there's really no learning going on until it's a shared activity. Um, So, and again, if you want to hear our thoughts on that, we did a show about that earlier in the summer, so just flip through those archives and I think the show was called Making Books Better or something like that. So go back and look at that. All right, we are at the end of our hour. I hope that we gave you some great ideas for teaching prepositions. You can find the list of those prepositions on uh, my website at teachmetotalk.com in an article called... um, I always forget what that article's called. But I'm trying to find it. What can I do to help my toddler learn more words? And that will also be listed on the Facebook page as well for that kind of master vocabulary list. I mean, you can see those words 
the prepositions that we talked about today listed in order of when they're typically acquired by children. And so it always helps to know that and to teach that. I had a mom this summer when she was here in my office and she was showing her son how to stick those uh, Velcro fruits and vegetables, how to push those together. I always say stuck or push, and she was saying, together, together. And, you know, that, <laughs> that's a great word, but it's not a good word for a two-year-old who's language delight. Yeah. And so it is good to kind of know the parameters of when those words typically come in because you're not really going to teach language like kids beyond those limits. So, all right. That's all I have for today. Any parting well, words? When do you head to Atlanta? Uh, I'm leaving Wednesday, Wednesday morning, since it's a six-hour drive, and we drive so we can haul all of our stuff, all of our DVDs yeah. and screens and projectors. And all of that stuff we use. So the road show does not travel light, does it? No, we don't. No, we don't. <laughs> and then Thursday is an all-day thing. Friday is 8 to 12.30. So I'm hoping I'm back on the road by about 1 o'clock, 1.15, because it's my high school cheerleader's homecoming night. So Aww. I need to try to make it back home for that ball game. So we'll see. We'll see. Well, that's exciting. I'm sure the... Folks down south and those traveling in to see it will be tickled to have you working again, doing the road show. Well, I'm excited about it, and I'll, I'll give a live report next Monday. Okay, sounds good. Bye. Thanks. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.